Welcome to Conversations from the Leading Edge, a monthly radio show and podcast featuring interviews about extraordinary advances in the area of peace and conflict studies happening at or around Columbia University. Each month, we feature interviews with scientists and thought leaders who are conducting groundbreaking work aimed at managing conflict constructively and sustaining peace both locally and globally. My name is Peter T. Coleman, and I'm coming to you from the studios of WKCR at Columbia University. The show is sponsored by AC4, the Advanced Consortium on Cooperation, Conflict, and Complexity at the Earth Institute at Columbia University. And now for today's show. Good evening. This is Peter Coleman, and welcome to Conversations from the Leading Edge. Uh, I have the pleasure and honor to um, interview uh, Professor Desmond Patton, who is an assistant professor at the School of Social Work here. Uh, he is also a faculty affiliate of the Social Intervention Group um, and the Data Science Institute, so that's an interesting combination of things we'll talk about. Um, and he does in research... Um, on both qualitative and computational data collection methods to examine how and why youth and gang violence, trauma, grief, and identity are expressed on social media and the real-world impacts that they have on the well-being for low-income youth of color. Um, Dr. Patton's work has been showcased on a variety of different uh, venues, um, including NPR and Chicago Tribune, and you'll fill in the others, I'm sure. Absolutely. Um, but uh, it's really an honor to have you here uh, and to um, – I, I, I had grabbed your uh, faculty profile off of our – the AC4, the consortium's website, has profiles of uh, different faculty doing interesting work around the universities. Uh, and Dr. Patton's work is particularly fascinating because it does sort of combine kind of state-of-the-art technology of social media with uh, sort of grounded problems of um, youth trauma and violence. Um, so welcome to the Thank show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. And so I, I'd like to start by just uh, hearing a little bit about you and, and how you got into this work. And yeah. um, I know your background is in social work. but Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I'm a social work researcher um, who does youth violence research, and I've always done qualitative methods. And so I did my PhD at the University of Chicago, and there I was studying... Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> great, yeah. great city. Um, I was studying how young men who are high-achieving navigate um, youth and gang violence in their neighborhoods, in one of the toughest neighborhoods in Chicago on the west side. Um, and so I was, I had just um, graduated and moved on to the University of Michigan where I started my first tenure track job at the School of Social Work there. And I stayed in touch with the young men there because um, I was thinking about my next project and they kind of alerted me to what was happening on social media. And there was one case in particular that I found really interesting. There were um, two really well-known rappers um, in Chicago that were going back and forth on Twitter. Um, and one of the lesser-known rappers had made a had put a post on Twitter basically saying, you know, if you want to do something about this, meet me at this location. And so he tweeted out a, a street address on the south side of Chicago. Wow. And within three hours, he was killed in that exact location. Wow. And I, I found it to be quite compelling, the, the utility of social media to identify these hot zones, hot spaces 
purpose for, uh, for violence. And mm-hmm. so I wanted to learn more about that. Um, I went to the literature and there was basically nothing in yeah. this space. There may have been two or three articles from international researchers that were talking about social media and violence, yeah. but nothing specific to like urban-based gang violence here in the States. Yeah. And so in 2013, uh, with some colleagues from the University of Chicago, we wrote a conceptual paper to really try to put some parameters around this problem. Mm-hmm. So we went to the computer-mediated communications literature, we analyzed um, Twitter posts and YouTube videos to really try to understand um, what is this that we're seeing online? Is this gang violence? Is this another form of um, cyberbullying? And mm-hmm. so we wrote a paper called Internet Banking, and this is the first time we uh-huh. kind of call this this uh, uh, phenomenon something. Uh-huh. Um, and essentially we found that there are scripts that are embedded on uh, uh, social media platforms that mimic and resemble um, urban gay, urban-based uh gang violence. And uh-huh. so we, we really try to understand um, the links between masculinity and how masculinity is expressed online and mm. also the role of hip-hop in the description and form of how young people are um, um, speaking online as well. So that's really the beginning of this, uh, this research on internet banging. It's fascinating. I, uh, at a conference last summer, somebody talked about sort of the online world of conflict and yeah. dispute resolution and talked about how you know, w- I work in the area of conflict resolution, and it's mostly face-to-face stuff. We talk yeah. about negotiations, mediation, dialogue processes. Um, and they were saying that, you know, the online world is the new world. Yeah. And basically most of this stuff will take place on the online in the online sure. community. And it, there'll be this. And yet we don't teach that. We don't talk about it. There, as you say, there's very little research. There is some group sourcing research about using, you know, iPhone technology to capture hotspots of violent right. zones and things like that in the international community. But it's a pretty, but it's clearly here. Yeah. It's gr- it's escalating, and it, it is the future. So I think Absolutely. it's a critically important topic to study. Yeah. Where how that interfaces. So, um, so can you talk a little bit about, I guess, the research or what you found that yeah, you find is yeah. telling? So since that conceptual paper, I've embarked on two studies. One is an interview-based study with um, current and formerly involved gang members in Chicago. And yeah. We were really interested in how they navigate both offline and online violence. Yeah. And then um, the second study was an in-depth uh, case study of a deceased um gang member in Chicago that um, was known in Chicago as uh, a shooter, um, which is a pretty rare um, um, space for young women in gangs. Mm. Um, She also had a very active uh, Twitter following and Twitter profile. Mm. Um, She had over 5,000 followers and 27,000 tweets in three years. And so that put her in a 98th percentile of all Twitter users. And so we've learned a lot from those two studies. Mm. In terms of speaking with um, young men, um, young uh, black and Latino men about uh, social media, we learned that um, social media um, helps them navigate violence. And Mm. so when they're in the neighborhood and they're making decisions on who to talk to and where to go, oftentimes they can look to social media as another kind of data input to help Mm. them understand what's happening in the community. Mm. Um, We also learned that language is an important feature of kind of understanding what's being said. Oftentimes, you know, we thought that, oh, we can just look at Twitter posts or Facebook posts and kind of 
um, draw some conclusions around what's threatening, what's aggressive, and we had no idea what yeah. was being said. Yeah. And the young men um, helped us to understand how we should conceptualize threats. And so what we did in our interviews, as a part of our interviews, is had them look at about 15 uh, vignettes from Twitter posts from uh, self-identified gang members in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And they pointed out really interesting features around you know, um, uh, posts that to our research team looked aggressive, but to them they knew it was a rap lyric, and so we were misinterpreting um, rap lyrics. Um, uh-huh. We were misinterpreting um, words that were actually um, the uh, backwards spelling for a street name in uh-huh, Chicago uh-huh, that uh-huh. was actually a um, gang uh, boundary or a territory. Yeah. So we were missing a lot of information that decoding. they helped to. Absolutely. Yeah, sure, right. um, so they are the experts in decoding this yeah. space, and we've used that to build on some, um, some uh, new research. Yeah. And then in our... Um, um, textual analysis of Twitter communications from uh, Jakara Barnes is who we'll be, who we've been focused on. We've learned a lot about the impact of trauma and grief and how young people um, express themselves uh-huh. and curate their identities online. Hmm. And so the problem is that we started this research thinking that we were going to identify these keywords and phrases that were indicative of a future threat. So can we can we identify a post that may lead to mm-hmm. offline violence? And we were really missing a host of social conditions that shape communication. Uh-huh. In particular, young people oftentimes were using this space to cope with death and loss in their life. Mm-hmm. And because of the visibility and the audience in which these posts were um, captured in, those posts could easily be, you know, um, easily move from uh, a grief post to a more mm. aggressive post when other people are coming in and making disrespectful comments and things like that. Uh-huh. So there's a lot of retaliation and reactionary things that are happening sure. in this space. Um, it's that, dynamic, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So, right, the intention might be to express a grief, but, yeah. but in fact, it, yeah. if it's responded to in such a way, it becomes instrumental to violence, right? Absolutely. Yeah. But I think, you know, what was important is that these were young people that you know, are viewed in the news as being hyper-violent and, you know, gang-involved. And this young woman was known as the gang-toting queen of Chicago. But what the story didn't tell you is that she had seen multiple deaths, that her father had been killed by um, uh, by gang members, and that mm-hmm. she was initially using the space to cope with those uh-huh. um, deaths. Uh-huh. And so we really thought, okay, well, let's, instead of focusing on individuals and their words, let's focus, let's also focus on some of these social conditions that may be embedded in the tweets. Uh-huh. And people are leaving clues and traces of their life offline that help mm-hmm. us understand, well, why was this post aggressive in the first place? Mm-hmm. We learn things around, you know, romantic relationships that go awry and people are using this space to cope with those things and mm-hmm. how it is quickly spirals because, you know, young people are young people. They are making quick decisions. They're not necessarily thinking through their posts. They're not thinking about who will see what and who's actually watching. So a lot of those kind of, you know, um, social things and identity things are kind of interacting in a space that makes it a hotbed for for, um, uh, more aggressive or threatening comments online. So how do you, given that Twitter tweets are so limited, constrained yeah. to, what, 150 140 characters? 140 characters, right. yeah. So how, how do you then um, investigate or interpret the context? Yeah, it's kind of like an, archa- um, an archaeological dig, if you will. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. we look for the f- uh, first clue, and we kind of 
build a narrative around that. Uh-huh. Um, there's a lot of information on social media that people just kind of take for granted. Uh-huh. There's tons of videos and images um, that show you who you're talking to, where you're located, yeah. what you like, what you don't like. Right. Hashtags are really important, right? And what we saw a lot from young people in Chicago is that these hashtags were actually used to indicate where they were, what, um, what gangs they were involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, and But to understand that, you have to have this community-level expertise to help us understand sure. what we don't know. Sure, yeah. um, the, there's a lot of information in the biographical um, uh, paragraphs that are on these platforms as well. Yeah. Um, and then you can kind of follow day by day. You can kind of see how people are progressing throughout their day. You know, they may um, start their morning in a happy um a loving place, and mm-hmm. then an event happens. And so one of the things we do is really try to look for those shifts in language. So what moves a person from, you know, kind of happy-go-lucky conversations to mm-hmm. more aggressive conversations? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes there is an event that happens offline that shifts that conversation. Yeah. Someone has been locked up. They've been shot by Chicago police, or they've been right. shot by a rival gang, or they've had a bad breakup, and that shifts the conversation. Sure. And so being able to identify those events was really important as well. Yeah. So I, um, I noticed that you're affiliated with the Data Science Institute. Absolutely. Here. And so, um, so my question is, so you're doing this kind of fascinating analysis of this data, right, Twitter data, that um, is informed bottom-up by people in the community sure. who have local knowledge. Another way to work with that data that – we do with we're trying to do with peaceful communities is to mach- do machine learning. Right? Absolutely, so just like put the data through computers and discover patterns that yeah. we couldn't understand. We couldn't go in looking yeah. at right. Yeah, has anybody worked with this data in that way? Yeah, so we're actually doing that right now, um, and Very so. As a qualitative researcher, my goal is to understand the mechanisms mechanisms and processes that are embedded in the tweets, right? right. And we look very closely at, you know, small samples of individuals. Yeah. But if we're interested in kind of understanding these dynamics in larger um, uh data sets, we need to have more automatic methods. Right. And so I joined the faculty here at Columbia about a year and a half ago. Uh-huh. One of the first people I met was Kathy McEwen, uh-huh. who's the director of the Data Science Institute. And we had a conversation about my work and my approaches, and we unique, we quickly hit it off. Um, she's Great. a computational uh, linguist um, who has done um, studies around language for years. Uh-huh. And so we quickly saw the synergy there. Um, and so for the past year, we've been working very close together. And we have decided to apply natural language uh, processing techniques to uh-huh. analyze uh, social media data on urban-based uh, gang violence. Fantastic. And we've been successful. And so this summer we uh, published a paper in which we were able to uh, – detect and predict um, aggression and loss in a gang data set. Um, But that NLP tool, natural language processing tool, was developed from qualitative insights. Uh And so first we would annotate a social media data um, data, um, with... um, 
inputs from Chicago youth. And uh-huh. so they would translate and interpret some of those key events that were happening, right. the language, the culture, and context that's embedded um, in that data. Yeah. And also kind of explain emojis and hashtags and things like that. Yeah. And then my uh, social work team, we would then do more qualitative analysis looking for themes and patterns in that data as well. Hmm. And all of this qualitative insight is then annotated for, uh, on a social media data set and given to Kathy McEwen's um, team at the Data Science Institute. They can Fantastic. then automatically detect and predict the things that we've identified to emerge from that data. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we have been working um, Very to cool. intersect these worlds. So a- after the show, I need to connect with you because we we work at one of the projects we have at this consortium, AC4, is a, 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 a study of peaceful societies. Okay. Like what what are the fundamental dynamics of peaceful societies that keep them that way? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Because we don't really study that. We study war and violence and you know aggression and those things. And sure. We understand that and how to try to stop it and mitigate it, but we don't understand peaceful societies. There Absolutely. are very few people that study that. Yeah. So we've been trying to identify them, A, and B, then to... Uh, some of the mathematicians we work with are trying to scrape Twitter data sure. to see if that will tell us anything that we don't know a priori going in. To Absolutely. So, yeah. so this would be a really interesting space to look at that, right? And, and, and are there bubbles in these communities that are more and less peaceful and why? Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Great questions. Can, can, you, um, can you focus your stuff geographically? Do you like look at a particular neighborhood when you're working, when you're collecting this data, or do you just collect it more generally from the area? Yeah, that's a great question. And so we normally start, we, we can focus it, and we normally start off with one node, yeah. um, one individual, and we then look at their social network on a social media platform. Got so it. so different, um, slightly different from their offline social network, right? Um, and so we are actually proposing to do a study right now where we work with a community-based organization in Chicago that has been collecting social media data from their uh, catchment areas. Uh-huh. And so they are using um, uh, third-party social media companies to then pull social media content from those um, neighborhoods, which normally have very um, um, high rates of uh um, gang violence in those spaces, uh-huh. and so we'll be able to zone in on those particular communities uh-huh. that are that are um, driving a, a lot of the um, high numbers of gang violence in those spaces. Fantastic. So I have application questions. Yeah. So as I said, I'm from Chicago. Yeah. I've been watching Chicago yeah. for a long time. I go back a lot. Yeah. Um, the police were just implicated in what you know. Sure. You know that's been going on. But, you know, violence in certain pockets of Chicago have been chronic for decades, and uh, and it really does seem like an intractable problem there that other cities have been able to manage in different ways sure. and not Chicago. Sure. Um, so what do you think – are there implications from what you're learning yeah. in your work that you think lend leverage to change initiatives, to yeah. things that can be supported, that yeah. can be yeah. funded – Absolutely. And so, you know, um, early on in 2016, the interim superintendent made a statement which I thought was really impactful. He said that he thinks that social media is a major contributing factor to the uptick in violence in Chicago. Uh And um, uh, coming from the top, I thought it was a really important statement. 
Um, and in our work, we are working with people that are on the ground. And so what we've learned, so as a part of my earlier study when I was interviewing um, former and current gang, uh, gang members in Chicago, we also interviewed um, violence outreach workers. And so mm-hmm. we interviewed about 20 outreach workers in Chicago that are on the ground that are from the community, um, many of whom are um, former gang members as well. Uh-huh. And they are on the streets, and when something is about to happen, they quickly jump in. This using, isn't the interrupter group. This is a different group. There are many groups that do use yeah. um, uh, very similar strategies. Uh-huh. So that is, one they are one of the groups as right. well. Uh-huh. Uh, and they collect intel from the community. Mm-hmm. And they quickly realize that um, social media was one form of data that they really wanted to have at their disposal, uh-huh. right? But oftentimes, they would look at this, look at social media data post hoc. And so sure. something would happen on the streets, and then they would realize, oh, well, they talked about this on Facebook or on yeah. Twitter. We could have used this information before it happened. Sure. And so a part of the um, collaboration with the Data Science Institute is to be able to develop these computational systems that can provide these organizations with real-world data when um, there are aggressive or threatening comments happening online. So some kind of early warning. An early warning uh-huh. kind of detection system that can uh-huh. then let them know when Chris and Joe are kind of involved in a kind of heightened or stressful conversation that might be um, uh, evolving on a social media platform. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. we would um, generate these uh, justifications as to why we have classified you know, this particular post as aggressive or threatening. Right. Um, and we are uh, uh, working to develop those systems now. And so uh-huh. we think that this is one way in which we can get this data to them. Um, some of these organizations have, you know, uh, social media coordinators now, which they are um, monitoring individuals that they've been connected with. Uh-huh. Um, but they're looking at a thousand users at a time, uh-huh. one person. That's not necessarily very efficient. And so, so we hope. So, what does a coordinator do? Right. So the coordinator is really just. Ch- monitoring interactions on social media, right? And then uh-huh. they will provide that intel from their own observations to the I outreach see. workers. I see, okay. Um, but oftentimes it's just one person sure. looking at tons of profiles. Sure, sure. Um, and so we hope to be able to um, augment their intervention strategies with this computational system. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do, do Does either law enforcement or the city or even community-based organizations get involved directly in social media in any way? Do yeah, they yeah. Like, respond? Do they try to yeah. make adjustments that way directly through social media? Absolutely. Yeah. So the police across the country have been using social media as a tool for at least five to seven years uh-huh. at this point. I mean, even just north um, of Columbia, there was the largest um, gang bust in history. Mm-hmm. Um, about 104 young men were arrested um, in a project housing site just north of Columbia. Uh-huh. And the major kind of um, uh, support for that was Facebook. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yes. Um, support for the bus, do you mean? Support or? for the bus as uh-huh. um, evidence or intel uh, for see. being able okay. to arrest these individuals. Uh-huh. Um, and so we are actually um, trying to, to do something a little bit different uh-huh. from that and that we, we're not interested in kind of tracking individuals. Right. But what, we've, what I've learned in my research is that actually – Young people are providing us information about their social life. They're telling us what resources they need, mm-hmm. what 
root causes of violence are that we may not be aware of or kind of mm-hmm. new mechanisms of root causes of violence. They're telling us what um, what supports they need, yeah. what pain they're going through, what trauma they're experiencing. Yeah. So what if we can use all that information and get that to supportive organizations yeah. that can help to quell some of these um, uh, uh, social factors that are um, impeding yeah. the lives of young people? Yeah, like my association, which is, you know, archaic, is uh, Suicide Hotline. Right, so mm-hmm. someone's in crisis, and you talk to somebody, and they can talk you down, or they can get you to resources, or connect you to other resources. Absolutely, right? yeah. So that's what I was wondering. Certainly, evidence collection the police are using. Sure, but, but uh, yeah, that's what I was wondering is if there are those kinds of direct interventions that help mediate or de-escalate or, you know. And I know that's what groups yeah, like the Interrupters try yeah, to do, right? They yeah. try to go to the source of things yeah. in the hospital. And Nothing is that organized yet. I mean, I think uh-huh. a part of the problem is that people are just now beginning to realize the power of social media, sure. right? And yeah. so many of the community-based organizations that I'm affiliated with or um, or connected to have a lot of policies against using social media uh-huh. to work with clients and communities. Uh And so first, I think a part of my research is to kind of introduce the idea of social media as an environmental context that we study. Uh So just like, you know, any other ecological system, let's consider um, social media social media as an ecological system that we need to understand and understand yeah. the implications for in social work practice. Like virtual culture. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. Um, how are we doing on time? Is anybody checking uh, it's been about 20 minutes oh okay so we've got more time yeah. okay that sounds great um you okay for another yeah, 10 minutes yeah or absolutely great. Um, well this is really fascinating um can you so are there current things that you're moving toward or you want to do next that you like things on the horizon that you're not quite there yet but yeah, you'd like to do yeah absolutely i mean one of the things we need to do is is understand ground truth so can we figure out if social media actually lead to a violent event. And so Uh I'm I'm developing some partnerships with a host of uh, engineers and computer scientists to first look at um, uh, police records. Uh Can we, we, when we see um, spikes in aggressive or threatening comments in a particular neighborhood, will we also see a spike in homicides in those neighborhoods? Uh Um, Is there anything about images or video that we can analyze that helps us understand sentiment or you know who people are connected to they may help us understand how and why a post might be aggressive or not mm-hmm. um, so those are some things that we're actually trying to work on right now yeah um, and then I'm also kind of interested in this this um, uh, idea of uh, social media policing and mm. so I'm mm-hmm. working with a colleague at Rutgers University in which we hope to study social media policing in in the New York City courts so mm-hmm. how are police and attorneys using uh, social media as evidence and uh, character testimony um, mm-hmm, when making mm-hmm. decisions around mm-hmm. um, violent around arrest and um, so forth and so on. And is this um, ethical? Uh-huh. Is this use of social media an um, ethical strategy, particularly in an era when we're trying to build more um, stronger, practice, stronger um, practices around uh, community policing? Uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. So it sounds like you could probably help them contextualize uh, tweets, inf- individualized information. So they may read a tweet as yeah. you initially did yeah. as evidence of this person's right. thinking state, right. uh, motivation. But if you can help them deconstruct the context yeah. that is inherent in that, 
then there's less of the attribution error yeah. of you're the problem, yeah. and, <laughs> right? And it's more of a sense of these are the conditions that are leading to these kinds of patterns. And that's really the beauty of this collaboration with data scientists. I mean, they have these really sophisticated and innovative tools yeah. to analyze language, but they lack context. Yeah. And we've really yeah. seen the importance of keeping humans in the loop when doing big data work. We sure. can identify the social problems that are embedded in the social media communications. We can unpack the context that may help us understand how and why um, uh, the communication is um, shaping up the way it is. Yeah, and I yeah. think that, that social science um, and uh, um, data science data yeah. science collaboration is really <clears throat> important in that space. Yeah. So can I ask, in, in the world of gang violence, do you have sort of the viral effects that you will sometimes see around like teen suicide, right? So do you, do you see similar kinds of phenomenon either in gang violence or social media communications? Yeah, gang that's violence? a great question. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I get that question a lot, particularly um, in light of some new usages of uh, Facebook Live uh-huh. and either individuals being shot or killed while they're filming or individuals filming um, violent events on Facebook Live. And uh-huh. people are wondering, okay, so... It, when this happens, are other young people getting an idea that they should use uh-huh. you know, these these uh, platforms to do that? And we, I don't think we know the answer to that right now. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but I think you know, from what we know around youth development and urban spaces, oftentimes these violent events are kind of rooted in root causes of violence, right? And so young people bored and, and, and uh, lacking opportunities, yeah. kind of using these platforms to to um, gain power to um, uh, uh, perform in these spaces and mm-hmm. oftentimes that may lead to more violent criminal activity uh-huh. when young people just don't have things to do. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that's a really important question that we need to continue to focus on. Uh-huh. Yeah. So here's an aspirational just question. I'm just going to invite you to dream for a second. <laughs> okay. so, so say, you know, the Gates Foundation or somebody comes in and says, this is the future. Yeah. We really need to understand that. You know, Here's $50 million, set up your, you know, your yeah. institute. Yeah. What would, you, what would you hope to accomplish in the next 10 to 15 years with something like that, with that kind of support? Or would you scale up what you're doing now, or would you move into a different paradigm? Or yeah. Uh, what uh, what would what do you th- what would you hope that would look like? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I definitely think we want to scale up what we're doing now. I mean, yeah. I, if we could get a tool to the masses, to schools, to community-based organizations, to folks on the ground that are working to prevent, intervene in violence, that would be wonderful. Yeah. I would love to be able to bring in a host of different um, key stakeholders, so to have young people and community members and the police, social scientists and data scientists working together on these problems, yeah. I think would be really helpful. Yeah. I think the thing that we also need to consider are the, eth- the ethical implications of this work as well. Huge, you know, yeah. How do we do this well? How do we do this in a way that maintains integrity, um, that, that allows social workers and outreach workers to continue to build trust and rapport um, you know, with community members while also preventing violence as well. Right. And protecting the kids and their, and their civil rights. Absolutely. <laughs> in the context of Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think, you know, having money to support those um, yeah. outcomes would be great. Yeah. yeah. So Bill and Melinda, if you're listening, <laughs> this is a, a, a promising venture. No, as I said, I mean, I, in all seriousness, I do think that I, I was reading recently about Moore's Law. So Moore's Law is this law that 
uh, technology, um, the speed and efficiency of technology doubles every two years, right? That's right. Uh, and that apparently that's been happening for about yeah. 50 years, right? And they suspect that will continue. And so, therefore, the you know the 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 critical utility of what you're studying, the interface of sort of violence, youth, local knowledge, and technical insight, um, and being able to tap that in useful ways. I think particularly because you're working with groups, uh, you know, both local groups, but also groups. Uh, I, I was taken by this group, the Interrupters, because they're epidemiologists. They Absolutely. try to understand, you know, not how to treat a symptom, but where do you where do you have to start, right? right. So you go to the ER when things have just gotten hot and right. try to bring things down. And that's, I think, uh, uh, that combination of things working in the what, how do you work as an epidemiologist in virtual reality? Right. right? And, and what do you, where do you find those hot spots in yeah. that space? I think an important point is that, you know, when we think about the contagion of violence, we've st- typically studied it based on face-to-face interactions, yeah. right? But what happens when your world is now online yeah. and the things that you say perhaps move in the same ways that face-to-face interactions are happening because your offline life characterizes your online communication. And so I think that a lot of organizations are beginning to realize that there is this role of um, social media as a potential vector for violence. And it's not to necessarily denigrate the platform. I think a lot of positive things are happening on these platforms that also need to be... um, take into consideration when thinking about the utility of social media as an intervention or a prevention tool. Yeah. Um, but I also think we need to understand that it has this role as a as a um, vector in the space as well. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I'm trying to help people. I'm trying to um, encourage that shift in thinking in this space too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess, you know, I'll end with what, with what you were talking about, the ethics, because um, uh, I recently watched, you know, I've seen Citizen Four. Mm. Have you seen Citizen Yeah. And recently watched the the Oliver Stone version of Snowden, which okay, is a, okay. his take yeah, on Snowden, yeah. which is also lionizes Snowden. And Snowden's a pretty impressive guy. Uh, but part of what he's shown us is the abuse of that kind of information, right? And right. how readily we do that for purposes of probably security, I right. guess, you know, and stability. But there's a cynical take on that as well. Absolutely. That what you're what you're working on is extremely powerful, right? And has, particularly if it has the capacity to predict in, from an, an early warning, but it also has these other, you know, sure. ethical implications that that are are even hard to imagine, right. right? How do we, how do we, you know? I remember somebody describing the internet as this thing that we created, thinking, hey, wouldn't this be cool if we could connect this computer to that computer right. and then whatever, and start to communicate all the great things we could do. And nobody was thinking, well, what if we, what if people weaponize it? Right. You know, what if they use it <laughs> right, against us? Right, you know? right, right. Because they, we just weren't yeah. considering that as an yeah. option. Um, this does feel like you're in that world of impact, that this your work could have such a strong impact. And, um and the algorithms that you create to mine this data and to be able to predict actions if it uh, gets to that point yeah. are very sophisticated and, and ultimately terrifying. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And I think that's why it's so important to keep humans in the loop in this space. And I think yeah. the more we bring in community members to tell us how to think about this 
the language, the culture, and context, and how we should use it yeah. um, can help to yeah. um, uh, move yeah. us in the right space. I yeah. think these tools can be powerful, but you know, um, who gets to use them and how are they used? And I think yeah. if we talk to young people and talk to community members about how they can use these tools and what they can do with these tools, yeah. and then we can help to um, try to mitigate bridge the some gap. Of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, this was fascinating. Thank you so much for your time. Thank and, you for having uh, me. And we'll have you back um, um, hope either before or after you get your huge foundation grant. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you <laughs> okay, so much. Thank you. Really thank you. The music for this show was written and composed by Kevin Johnston, and it's titled Kingdom Stowaway. <laughs> 